Welcome to Where Are You Going, an industry-leading podcast all about business operations, freight, LTL, cost savings, profitability, and much more. Here's your host, Dave Stavali. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Where Are You Going podcast, the show dedicated to maybe not anything specific, uh, more of a mix of business, shipping, life, family, um, industry guests, but more than anything, really getting to know the person on the other end. Uh, we, uh, I think we, I just had my longest pre-show conversation uh, so far uh, with my buddy, Mark Tui. Uh, we go back, uh, I think most of our 42 years together. So trying to narrow this in to a 40 minute conversation might be tough, but I guarantee we're going to have some fun doing it. Uh, Mark Tui, Territory Sales Manager at Angal. Welcome, my friend. What's happening? Thank you, sir. Um, same old, man. I really appreciate you setting this up for us. And if you're recording video, I apologize to the guests. From a visual standpoint, that picture frame behind me had eight, nine, ten-year-old pictures in it. So when I changed roles and redesigned my office, uh, the frame itself is still there but the contents are kind of bare. So note to self after this call, upgrade your decorations in your screenshot. So uh, you've known me long enough to, I don't, there's a better word than vain. Um, let's call it insecure. Um, I'm way there too insecure go. to have hair looking like this for something uh, that has video. So we're, well, we're just- and gonna... likewise. <laughs> Yes, so likewise. good Good for everybody. We're, uh, we're, we're just doing audio today. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's start off the fun. What um, you know, somebody doesn't know who Mark Tui is, and uh, you know, a, a lot of people do wow. in different countries, different counties, different states. Um, yeah, tell us tell us the Mark Tui story that uh, isn't even the the professional version. What uh, what's your path look like? What do you what do you tell people that uh, that uh, meet you maybe at a, a watering hole uh, all the way to a Zoom call for the first time? Yeah, so the most recent description has been uh, Midwest Vagabond. Mm. I like to, you know, kind of say that I've been in all parts of the Great Lakes area, fortunate enough to cover it professionally. But, you know, from, from a personal standpoint, born and raised in the Detroit area, went to school at Michigan State, immediately upon graduation, moved to Columbus, Ohio, lived there, lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. Concurrently, there were a number of folks in Chicago that also thought that I lived in Chicago. And, <laughs> you know, that's going to get a lot of our good friends laughing, sleeping on couches, booking Southwest flights at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning. But, you know, after a little bit of, we'll just call it uh, experience, moved to uh, Indiana to, to Indianapolis proper, and now we're up in Lafayette. So, you know, had a chance to maybe head a little farther south after Southern Ohio and button hooked right back into the heartland. Uh, so now we're Hoosiers, I guess, by residence, not by association. But that's just kind of my, you know, geographical background in a nutshell. Uh, very loyal to the, the Michigan sports side of me from a professional standpoint and the Michigan State athletic and sports side of me from, you know, like a college career standpoint. So I get a lot of shit in Indiana and in Ohio for my affiliations. 
Um, but it makes for good conversation. You know, it's, it's nice to have had the opportunity to travel abroad and see some other parts of the world. So, you know, maybe not as triggered as some folks might be when you come up against, you know, maybe some dissenting opinions. Uh, but there you go. That's, that's the 32nd Cliff's Notes. So I'm going to summarize that with the uh, a Midwest vagabond that uh, maybe has a better vocabulary than anybody else I know that uh, is from the heartland in Indiana. I, I've used the term carpetbagger too, but vagabond is a lot more funny. Um, I don't. It, uh, so in my head right now, I'm thinking about French Lick, uh, Indiana, and how that ties to you know the best show on TV right now, uh, Winning yeah. Time on HBO. Um, all right, so let's let's unpack a few things there. Uh, the fun parts. So, as on a scale of like novice to complete Sparty Slappy, uh, where do you kind of fall in your Michigan State fandom? As as a as a you know, a, obviously a dad that has kids, right? How has yeah. so it's like two part question. I imagine it was at a certain level, maybe 20 years ago. Has that evolved a bit or you still kind of find yourself really tied to it, Sparty? It, it's evolved in the standpoint that I haven't broken anything in the better part of a decade, like <laughs> as the, the corollary or aftermath of a performance. Um, I'm definitely still diehard, like will prioritize schedule to watch certain basketball, football, not so much hockey, baseball, um, you know, when we're in town and there's activities, we'll go to campus, you know, if there's a soccer game or a women's field hockey game or what have you, like, we'll check it out. But basketball and football are the big sports for pretty much anybody at any major university. And it's no different for me. Uh, the hockey team is, is near and dear to my heart, but just hired a new coach going through a little bit of a rebuild on a program level. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely still on the extreme side from a, a loyalty and dedication standpoint. I don't take it nearly as seriously as I used to, which I guess is probably natural progression. You, you lose a little bit of that association. You also realize that you're trying to set an example for two young sports fans. So like throwing empty bottles of vodka and punching walls is not typical adult behavior when you're watching a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds compete. Uh, so the, the boys are five and seven, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So they, they say you can remember about after five, right? So we probably want well, to keep Carson's going. probably, yeah. The older boy probably has a couple of memories already in the tank and Lincoln is, is turning the corner. So, you know, b besides my potty mouth, which they've already adopted the, uh, the viewing of sports and the reaction to certain plays has definitely taken a 180 from let's just call it 10 years ago. You hit the timing nail right on the head. <laughs> My daughter, uh, uh, Ava, uh, stopped watching lions games with me years ago because she remembers me making her cry at age four. Um, so yep. that kind of seems like it jives up with, uh, with that story. Uh, Tom Izzo, stayed too long where is he just is he just fine which where are you in that argument that that's opening a can of worms uh mm. i kind of go back and forth every day on how i feel okay i don't 
think he stayed too long. I don't think he's worn out his welcome, but the thing that he was known, you know, about or known for earlier in his career was the fire and the tenacity and the intensity and being able to get kids to stay for three and four years. Graduation rate aside, like you look at the Mateens and the Mopeets and the Draymonds and the Jay Riches and the guys that had impacts in the league, the game has changed. And so is those recruiting has changed. And I just don't think that we're getting those four and five star freshmen that Duke and Kentucky and Kansas are getting. And 15, 20 years ago, we didn't need them because he wasn't starting any freshmen or sophomores. Now that's the entire college game. So I don't want to say that he's maybe lost his touch, but maybe he's lost his touch with the game the way that it is in 2022. Not to mention the fact that we're losing a boatload of talent this year to transfer, to draft, to whatever sort of attrition. And this coming up season is not one for Sparties to be super optimistic about. Yeah, I mean, and, and we didn't talk about this, but uh, we probably just scratched the surface. But man, has the transfer transfer portal really changed college sports? You know, we were the benefit too, getting Tyson Walker. But also, there's a flip side to it where, like. I don't want to be the, the old guy that says, get off my lawn kids these days, <laughs> but like kids these days. And you remember playing ball, especially, you know, Bobby Knight in our era and certain right. guys like Gene Katie in our era, if you were slighted or felt offended too bad. Yep. Now it's like, well, you know, coach sat me or coach scolded me or I got dressed down because I screwed up. I'm going to transfer. It's, you know, you can't put your finger on any one thing. That's just how the world works these days. It, it's, I don't want to say it's unfortunate, but it's just different for a lot of fans like myself who have been around the game for a number of years and coaches like Izzo who have been around the game for a number of years. It, it is a complete culture shock from a style standpoint. So, I mean, I guess that's just where we are. Not a whole lot we can do to change it other than bellyache and hope for the best. Yeah, and, and become the, the, the old man in the room. So that, I think that yeah. was a long answer that the short answer was yes. I think you just said he stayed too long. I, I think you talked yourself through that one. <laughs> I, I think I did. I, I needed to process some emotions. Because, <laughs> you know, friends of ours – mutual friends of ours and friends of mine that are, are really loyal and dedicated to the university thought that he should have left like three, four, five years ago. Eh, I don't know if I'm on that level yet. There's still value that he provides to the game, to the university, to the kids calling them student athletes is hogwash, yeah. you know, they're kids, <clears throat> but yeah. I mean, if we have two or three more down seasons out of the next four, that's it. Like, that's all he's got left. He's not going to coach yeah. for 40 years. He's already 68 years old, right? almost 70 years old. So what, 28 seasons in, he's missed the tournament once or twice. He's had maybe two sub 500 seasons. So he's earned the right to go out on his own terms. Maybe I'm talking myself into the fact that it's time. Wonderful. Well, as we transition into the business part of this conversation today, um, you'll be happy to know that I have a, uh, you know, a, alumni, whatever donation Sparty license plate on both of the cars in my driveway. So I'm sure you'll probably call me about that later, but uh, I figured you'd, you'd awesome. love to know that. 
Um, all right. So I feel like the Mark Tui professional story um, has, you know, probably more than two different parts. But if you look at your kind of experience and, and, and what you've done, um, it definitely has at, le- at least two distinct parts. So tell us sure, kind sure. of post Michigan State. Um, what kind of maybe the early careers looked like a little bit. Sounds like you've been in a few different industries. Uh, and then uh, we'll talk about kind of the, the recent history as well. Yeah. So the, the idea, right, when you're 22, I went for a victory lap. So when I graduated, I was going on 23. International business was the idea. I went into the college at, at Michigan State, Road College of Business as a finance major, very quickly realized that I had neither the patience nor the attention span for three hour lectures about numbers. So real quick pivot to marketing, still inside the college, but with a different focus. And, you know, concurrently I'm studying overseas, I'm studying German Lang and Lit. And so wide eyed thinking, I'm gonna go work for Lufthansa or BMW or some huge, you know, multinational conglomerate with presence in Detroit and presence overseas didn't really realize that when you graduate in 2003, you're walking into at the time, one of the worst hiring markets in our lifetime, you know, save for maybe the early to mid eighties. Fast forward to, I'm on the, you know, the brink of getting my degrees and I'm ready to walk and I'm like, shit, I got to find a job. I don't want to move home and wound up interviewing with a number of folks, but the best fit And the best opportunity turned out to be a company that I had never heard of called Ferguson Enterprises. Now, everybody knows who Ferguson Enterprises is these days, especially if you're a homeowner or if you're a skilled tradesman or, you know, if you're in commercial construction or or residential construction, plumbing, utilities, what have you, like they're the biggest name in the business. So I wound up working for those guys. That's what took me to Columbus, started off as a trainee in the yard pulling material, working the sales counter, filling orders, loading trucks, and just kind of learning the nuts and bolts of the business. Because when you're in college, you're not learning about sewer pipe and water valves and underground construction. It's just not taught any slanting, at least at the time it wasn't. So, you know, that went to, had a chance to take a sales territory, it had a chance to do some estimating on the side, you know, working on quotes, large volume quotes, you know, bid events for our, our major customer base. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, they, they provided me a chance to run the business in their location in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is what took us to Cincinnati. So, you know, you get exposed at a young age to leadership positions, you know, at the time it was more management of the warehousing and driver personnel, as well as the sales and inside sales and, and you know, customer service type of folks you get a little PL responsibility rolled up into that too. So phenomenal, phenomenal experience. That was basically the first 10 years of my career, positions of increasing responsibility, all within that nice, you know, warm nest of Ferguson Enterprises and Ferguson Waterworks. Got it. <clears throat> I guess it would have been what, 2013, we parted ways. Business focus has shifted. They're consolidating. They're looking for ways to eliminate costs handful of us were on that short list that said, Hey, thanks, but no thanks. Um, off you go. So, so I was jettisoned and almost immediately went to work for a company called HD supply now known as Corin Maine, 
formerly part of the Home Depot business unit. They have, I, I guess, you know, rewind real quick. The easiest way to explain Ferguson to HD is like explaining Coke to Pepsi Got or it. Reebok to Nike. They are one and two by leaps and bounds in their respective industries and very fierce competitors. It's 1A, 1B, or 1-2, almost on a switch-off rolling basis annually. Um, so, you know, long story longer, Ferguson passes, a handful of us are released, and I jump on board with HD um, in, in more of a sales role. So back to territory management, no longer responsible for the P&L, no longer responsible for the brick and mortar or for the team, um, I basically got an opportunity to, to have a, a select handful of accounts in central Indiana in that utility construction space. So, you know, large road and ground contractors, excavation companies who are building municipal infrastructure, water line, sanitary sewer line, storm line, you know, at the time the residential slash subdivision market was back on the upswing so a lot of our larger customers were guys that were putting the dirt work in underneath your cookie cutter subdivision that was popping up literally everywhere in the country. Yep. Um, stayed with those guys for two years in the same role. Phenomenal company. A, a lot of people in that industry are industry lifers for a reason in the waterworks utility construction business. They're good, you know, honest people. They're hardworking people it's a very specialized market. So it's not like you're going to pick up a professional with 15, 20, 25 years of experience and put them into a sales territory calling on utility contractors. It's just not very common. So when I left HD, it was a company change and an industry change. Wish a lot of those guys well. Like I said, I still talk to quite a few of them either, you know, personally via text or phone call or running into them when I travel my old stomping grounds or, you know, now that we've got LinkedIn on LinkedIn, um, came to a company called Ansel Healthcare, my former employer. And again, uh, sales territory role focusing on Indiana and Kentucky, but now shifting into uh, the safety space, the PPE space. And what I should say as well is Ferguson and HD are both distributors so, you know, I'm working with end user customers representing products from suppliers, manufacturers, not us. Got it. The company that I, I went to and, and the company I'm with now, we're on the manufacturing side of the supply chain. So we're making our own stuff. We're marketing our own stuff. We've got chain of custody for our own product line and are then selling through distributors to our ultimate end user customers. Uh, a little bit of a different product scope but the mentality and the culture in construction and in safety is very very similar you know you've got a fairly small industry you've got a lot of longer in the tooth tenured more experienced folks who have worked with a number of different companies and you can talk about folks as big as 3m and honeywell and folks as small as the organization that i'm with today awesome segue uh, Andals and Andals is a family-owned Swedish-based company that markets, manufactures, researches, developments uh, gloves, so hand protection and safety footwear for the industrial space. Um, what we've recently done is 
before COVID, they made an attempt to expand to the U.S. COVID sort of put a stop to that plan. And, you know, as I run on here with maybe a nine minute story, I haven't looked at the clock, but, <laughs> but I do have a tendency to be a little long winded when the, the court is open. So A&Dolls decided to set up shop in the U.S. last summer, post COVID, put some assets in place, bring on full time U.S. based employees, one of which is me. So got <clears throat> we've got warehouse and office in Charlotte. We've got personnel, warehousing, inside sales, finance, admin, leadership in Charlotte. And then there's five of us floating around in the field, kind of east of the Mississippi, Maine to Florida to get the brand out, to get a little bit of awareness and try to build some equity and recognition. A number of us have decades plus sales experience coupled with you know, a number of years of experience in the safety PPE industry. So the easiest way that I explain it to friends and family is I went from the biggest player in the game to one of the smallest, but it's the same geography. It's the same customer base. It's people that I know, people who hopefully know me, but the product line is, is very, very finite. It's, it's very alike. And you know, it, it's a competitor ultimately of my former employer, but a little bit of a different focus, a little bit of a shift from a KPI standpoint, right? If you want to get super dorky about data points, we just have different priorities than those larger global publicly traded companies. Um, you know, we, we just uh, have a little bit of a different culture and a little bit of a different target market. So that's where I am. That's where we are. And, uh, you know, maybe I should shut up for a couple minutes and let you continue. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, honestly, I, I, I say this maybe in every other show. It my I, my favorite part is taking somebody who I've known previously, whether it's two years, 10 years, 20, like whatever. Right. In, in this Five. case, in this case, it's literally, I think, 37. I don't know. But yeah, and, and, and learning, you know, more than I knew learning new stuff, the story, the details, whatever. So um, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I and it's funny, as we talked roughly a month ago, um, oh, it, was, it was Master's Week. Um, That's as, we, as we were talking that week, you know, we, we were kind of saying that we, we uh, excuse me, share the similarity of essentially bringing a new brand uh, into the, the U S so kind of talk about what, what that has been like and, um, you know, maybe some of the challenges and, uh, I, I think you hit on it a bit there, but maybe some of the, the positives into bringing a new brand in and what that's like and sort of brand recognition, credibility, all that. Yeah, it, it's super unique. And, you know, in my past life, I was able to trade off the name of the organization I could have been Mark II. I could have been John Smith. It wouldn't have mattered. Uh, with Andals, there's little to no awareness in the U.S. of our company, our story, or our differentiated line of products. So I have to rely on my network and, you know, going back 15, almost 20 years of experience in, you know, the Midwest, my little geographical playground, so to speak, Um but we, we really are, you know, ground floor. The, the nice thing about the ground floor is that 
we've been around in Europe on the hand protection side since 1949, on the footwear side since 1916. So, you know, there's a hundred years of horsepower and experience and R&D behind us. The brand recognition and the market share in Europe, especially in Northern Europe and our home markets is top of class. Okay. So they've put a lot of resources behind us. We are, so to speak, kind of out on an island, but not really, right? Because they've invested in the right people and they've put together a program for, you know, growth and expansion. And we have our own office and we have our own warehouse and we have our own distribution network. We are not uh, licensing from our European home base. We are not third party logistics ing i know that's not a word but we're not 3pling our <laughs> uh outbound okay it's all the all the guys that do what i do we're all wearing the same shirts is the easiest way to explain it yep. i got andals on my shirt they have it on theirs as well so you know to that extent it's not your traditional startup but if you look specific to the us market to north america we're the new guy on the block I feel like we've got a nice, you know, solid foundation, financial resources, and then also industry knowledge in our roster or on our bench to be able to be a little bit of a disruptor. Hmm. And we're bringing some new products to this market in particular that up until, you know, let's just call it last August, were not available and unknown and, and frankly foreign to. United States from a, you know, especially from a, a safety footwear, from an industrial footwear standpoint. Um, you know, we were joking about it. People know what Kevlar is and folks who play golf or ski have heard of BOA and folks who, you know, play hockey or, or wear catcher's equipment are familiar with the term Peron and what Peron XRD is. We've got these phenomenal partnerships with these other companies who allow us to use their material in the composition and construction of our footwear, almost nobody else in our market as it stands today has that same quote unquote firepower. Okay. You know, the people like, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody to drop a few names because if people know what we do, they know who our competition is. Timberland and Red Wing and Cat and Keen and, you know, the list goes on and on. Those guys make good product. But it's your traditional, primarily clunky, maybe a little outdated technology, brown leather steel toe boots. And that's not what we do. We've got one, but our focus is lighter weight, more sustainable material, right? That's a huge buzzword, especially in Europe, but now more so than ever here in the States is sustainability and, you know, manufacturing in a environmentally friendly type of nature, but we're putting bells and whistles or features and benefits or unique selling points, you know, whatever you want to use to describe it, we're putting that stuff into our product and the product is, is commercially viable and, and very easy to take to market. We just, we don't have that distribution network established. You know, we don't have the retail network established that our competition does. So it's me on a soapbox with a megaphone yelling come and learn about Andals, come and learn about our footwear, going to trade shows and running into old friends and being like, Hey guys, I'm doing something different. Let me have 15, 20 minutes of your time and see if you've got interest or need. And I'm willing to bet that we can find you a solution. 
That's awesome. I, I, I'm glad you hit on the competitors because uh, that happened to be my next question. So let's talk sort of target market. When I think about what you do here on the, you know, protective wear and handwear, footwear, PP stuff. So I just think about, you know, the thousand warehouses and shipping docks that, that I've been in in the last, you know, whatever, almost 20 years. Um, but maybe narrow that in for, for people that are listening in terms of your sort of target. I don't know if it's market, it's probably more so like type of company, uh, whether it's square feet, industry, et cetera. Uh, hone in on that a little bit. Yeah. So I certainly don't want to get my competition anymore. Uh, props that, than we've already given them or mentioned names. <laughs> no disrespect, but hey, you know, this is our audience, not theirs. So right. no, that that being the case, um, phenomenal point with regard to, you know, what's our target market? Do we have a customer profile that we favor? Um, the target market is wide open to answer that first question. And, and no, we don't have a profile that we favor because we can't quite yet be that selective. You know, at some point down the road, we're going to have to narrow our focus. As it stands today, if my phone rings, I'm going to answer it. And if somebody wants to buy 99 times out of 100, we're going to say yes. But, you know, taking it a step further, our categories or verticals that we focus on, somebody you're familiar with, right, would be warehousing logistics. Okay. You've got your big fulfillment centers, the ones that we know. Or, you know, you've got your small sorting facilities or you've got uh, maybe cold storage if you're talking about food service and processing. That warehousing and logistics global category of companies is a number one top priority for us. Everybody in there has to wear some type of safety or performance footwear. We can check all of those boxes from the gate to the dock to the actual floor and then if you're taking it into a cold storage standpoint right something that swedes and Finns do very well is cold weather and in turn a lot of our focused products are cold weather products okay. so you know we can check those boxes if you want to talk about a little bit more traditional industrial whether we're talking about automotive or we're talking about tier two or metal fab or machinery we do have the metatarsal protection shoe. We do have the high heat shoe with the protective toe. We're just using lighter weight material. We're using some synthetic material that actually provides protection, e either comparable, commensurate, or superior to your traditional clunky brown steel toe leather is the word that we use, but that's what we're talking about. That's our, our go-to competitor you know, product style. And then on the hand protection side, it's a very saturated market. And, you know, there's a joke in the industry about how everybody has gloves. It's not entirely untrue. What we have are some unique features on the high heat side. And then again, on the cold weather side, whereby, you know, there's probably three dozen people, recognizable names, brands of gloves in your general purpose cut, coated, or chemical range. But in those more harsh and extreme environments, that's where we are kind of, you know, taking a specialty and leadership role in the market. Again, high heat, cold weather, those extreme conditions. Applicable in cold storage, applicable, especially in automotive and foundry work where you've got 
welding and metal bending and, you know, just a bunch of nasty shit where you've got to have some pretty high end protection. And then the, the more niche or I guess specialty markets where we can compete, it's just not a big deal for me here in the Midwest is in oil and gas. Okay. Because there's just not, you know, we're fortunate enough here, Great Lakes, Midwest area, uh, a very saturated and diverse amount of business from an industrial manufacturing standpoint. We've got life sciences and we've got research and development and med device, and we've got all sorts of automotive, both domestic and international. And then subcomponents of that industry where, you know, there's somebody making doors or frames or chassis on every street corner in Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky. Right. And then you've got obviously a lot of warehousing and logistics in, in this part of the world. So to that extent, like we've got products for all those end user customers. And then, you know, the specialty areas where you're talking petrochem, oil and gas, we have those products. I just don't have that need here in the Midwest. Businesses like that are not as prevalent or uh, popular. You know, it's Gulf Coast type stuff or it's oil right. sand stuff up in Alberta. So, you know, that's kind of what what I'm focused on. You know, taking it a little bit of a step further into the distribution network. Anybody who is a safety house or an MRO distributor or, you know, a big box, large national distributor that sells a number of different categories. Those are the channel partners that we want to partner with. Those are the people that we know from a past life. Those are the business models where we can offer the most value. And so, like I said a second ago, right, if my phone rings, I'm going to answer it. And my job right now is just trying to get our name out in the market to generate some interest and, and throw mm -hmm. a couple of elbows to the existing market. Yeah. Well, and, and I thought that was one of my takeaways from our last conversation was how we're sort of at a similar um, part in our careers where we're yeah. um, <clears throat> whether bringing in a new established brand overseas into the U.S. or um, starting a newer business or newer book of business or franchise in this case. Yeah, you almost I mean, I think the reality is you can't really afford to not pick up the phone and, uh, you exactly. know. Not, not see what you're going to get, whether it's something that makes you money today, uh, makes you money in six months, or maybe doesn't necessarily make you any money and just some, some networking comes from it. Right. And there's goodwill in that too. I mean, right. we, we don't, from a business standpoint, at some point in time as a manufacturer, you've got to be selective about where you transact, right? Because you got to protect your brand and there's equity built in. But at this point in time, like, you and I have both been in a position of, of increasing responsibility, senior leadership or something similar for a good part of our career. And this is like a 180, but for me, it's super refreshing, right? It's a different focus. It's a much smaller focus. It's not the uh, bureaucracy and red tape and constant reshifting of priorities that you get with corporate America or publicly traded companies, especially those that are multi-billion dollar market leaders. Yep. We are not. We are well aware of that. Our job right now, me and my team and our leadership overseas is, let's be flexible. Let's be agreeable to our customer base. 
let's try to make for an enjoyable buying experience. We want to be easy to do business with. As you get bigger, as you get more automated, there's benefits to that level of power, but there's also some detriments to your ability to react to the market. Um, so I like to think that that our position currently is, you know, let's just call it August. We incorporated in the U.S. Okay. September, we started the hiring and onboarding process for me and my team. My first day was December 1. Our first technical day of business operations in the U.S. was January 1st. I guess it would have been the third, whatever that first Monday was. Yep. So we're literally four months old, going on five months old. And it's been really, really cool in a short amount of time to be involved in that ground level type of business generation or business development where you know, certain things that we would take for granted in our past life working for larger organizations, that shit falls on my lap now, right? So like our team is marketing and product management and customer service and, you know, order tracking and fulfillment and sales support and follow-up. Not that we don't have that overseas, we do, but number one, they're six hours ahead of us. So at 10 o'clock, basically, you know, our time, their day's over. And the I was gonna flip ask side of that, <laughs> yeah, like we want to establish all that stuff on our own in the US and become the reliable partner that our customers know us to be from our past life. We've got to be a little bit more nimble and obviously a little bit more resourceful because I was higher number five. There's nine of us now. So it's cool. I mean, that, that's the biggest takeaway. It's very refreshing. It was a good point in my career to maybe take a little bit of a step back from a title standpoint, but from a responsibility standpoint, the responsibility has never been greater. I mean, the, the family owned business has given us the opportunity to take their brand, their leading Nordic brand and make an impact in the U S it's a huge honor. It's super humbling, but yeah, there's a lot of responsibility and you know, they expect it from us. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, yeah, finishing that point yeah, from a target market perspective sounds like a huge wide net. Uh, and also, I, I think when you were talking there about fulfillment centers and warehousing and, and all that, I mean, to me, what, what a great time to be sort of servicing um, those sectors with the boom in e-commerce. And, and, and what, I, what I mean by that is... Um, you have, you know, if, if, if I'm thinking about, I heard those types of locations 15 years ago that came up here and there. But I mean, yes, part Amazon effect, part how the world has changed. Um, you run into companies now every day that have their fulfillment at a warehouse, or third party or sort of different setup um, to where, like you said, they all need equipment. They all need your services in, in some way, shape or form. So long point to a, a massive target market that you can go after yeah. and, and be a disruptor. I love that being a disruptor. Yeah. I mean, and, and if there's anybody that's still listening, like people still buy from people. Yep. Right. Like the, the target market for our product in, in my part of the world is like, I want the low hanging fruit. I want to work with people that I know and people that I can network with from reliable industry or personal contacts. Because 
we really don't have the luxury right now as a relatively new business to take a flyer, right? We can't extend a bunch of credit and then not collect. Yep. We'll be under, right? And, and I can't stake my name or my reputation with my own organization with somebody who I don't consider to be reliable. So, you know, to that extent, the, the you know, commercial digital transformation is awesome because it offers us a lot of ways to not only get to the customer, but get data into the market and from the market. But at the end of the day, people are still going to buy the stuff that we make and sell from people. And those are the relationships that, you know, we're trying to leverage. We're trying to lean on. I don't want to say it's calling in favors, but our brand new company is having a lot more initial success working with people that we have known for years versus the the cold call. The cold call is still a very big part of our day and still a lot of our focus from, uh, you know, if you're talking about sales activities, cold calling is a large part of our sales activities, but the success ratio is heavily favored to existing network and people buying from people. So there's a little bit of maybe it's a double-edged sword. Maybe it's two sides of the coin, however you want to explain it. But yeah, Amazon effect has been, I think, beneficial for us just knowing that the Walmarts and the Kohl's and the Targets and the UPSs and the FedExes and all of the other Joneses are trying to keep up, you know, <laughs> like that Tommy Lee Jones and Rashida Jones and Leslie Jones commercial. <laughs> And then one of the Jonas Brothers pulls up. Yeah. So. I mean, this is the all-time name brand and name drop podcast, by the way. I, I, um, I, I There's no way I even uh, wrote down half of what, what we talked about. The Joneses. I love that. All right, Jones. So um, how do people exactly. uh, get a hold of uh, Mark Tui and, and talk about um, you know, the upside of, of getting on with sort of the, the trailblazer and the new brands in, in the U.S. How do people get a hold of you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, M-A-R-K-T-O-U-H-U-I. I might be one of two. I am not uh, executive level in Boston, and I do not live in Dublin, Ireland. Those are the other two Mark Tuies that I see a lot on social media. 513-620-1196. That's my cell is uh, typically the easiest, best way to get a hold of me. And like I said, I'm at the point now where if it rings and it doesn't pop up as spam, chances are I'm going to answer or I'm in a meeting and I'll return the call as soon as I can. But, um, you know, if there are folks out there still listening, we, we are a new organization in the U.S. We, we have some very nice and unique products that will disrupt the market, but we're not fly by night, right? We've been around for 100 years overseas we're a, a multi-hundred million dollar organization, and there's a lot of really, really nice advancements in this space that are coming out of our catalog into our portfolio that, you know, again, we just need a little bit of an opportunity to maybe get a testimonial or write some white papers here in the States, but we've got big name players in big time industries already signing up. I'm not sworn to secrecy, but I do respect those relationships. So I'm not going to broadcast them here on a podcast. When that time comes, I'd love to talk a little bit more about those specific features and benefits. 
you know, the ways that we can be of service to organizations, big, medium, and small. And we're fun to do business with, right? We want to be super easy. We're going to be there to support. You've got, you know, the nine of us with decades of experience in sales and sales management and PPE. So I like to consider us reliable and, you know, pretty darn close to subject matter experts. That's awesome. Well, dude, I, uh, I hear in the story and uh, kind of, understanding more of, of the vision has been a huge benefit for me I'm, I'm excited to watch watch how this thing grows um they uh i i think when when you tell me about employee 100 and employee 200 uh yeah. it's gonna be a play, pretty fun story so dude awesome to chat with you uh best of luck to on the growth and uh appreciate your time on, on the show man yeah thank you appreciate you having me all right man see you okay Thanks again for listening to this episode of Where Are You Going? Feel free to look up Dave on LinkedIn for more of this original content. Thanks.